Turn, if you would, to Exodus chapter 12 in your Bibles. I'll tell you, this week I remembered once again that I love being a student of God's Word. A student means you never arrive. <laughs> a student means you're always learning, always finding out new things. And uh, th that happened to me this week uh, because when I first read the, the passage that I would be preaching, um, I'm embarrassed to say that I, I was a little disappointed, not looking forward to studying or preaching it. I thought, what am I going to say about this stuff? I mean, we're going to look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Consecration of the Firstborn. Like, I don't know about you, but to me that doesn't just peak excitement in my heart. And I thought, okay, if this, if this seems irrelevant to me, like it has no bearing on my life, then what's it going to sound like when I preach it? What, what am I going to tell them? And so that put me on a search I wanted to figure out how the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the consecration of the firstborn here in Exodus could possibly be relevant for us since we are in the new covenant era. Christ has come. He has lived. He has died and risen again. So how could this be relevant? Do you know what I came to realize? I mean, it was a kind of a revolutionary idea for me just for the way that I'm going to study the Bible uh, in the future. I came to realize that instead of being less relevant for us in the New Covenant era, instead of being less relevant for us than it was for them, it's actually more relevant. All of these things that they did, all these rituals, all these ceremonies that, that take so long in the Bible, they're so detailed, and, and as we're reading it, they're kind of boring at first blush. I'm just being honest with you the way it is for me. I've come to realize that those should be far more significant for us and far more relevant for our daily lives, for our relationship with God and for the way we interact with others. And that is because all of these Old Testament rituals and ceremonies were pointing to Jesus Christ. They were in some way foreshadowing, foreshadowing what Jesus was going to accomplish and what that new covenant era would look like when he ushered it in. And so think about this. Back, back in, in the Old Testament times, Old Covenant times, they had these ceremonies and they had all these details. I mean, and they, they got some relevance and significance out of it, but they didn't understand the details like we can. We, you know, 3,000 years fast-forwarded, we've seen Christ, we've seen what he's done, we've seen him usher in the New Covenant era, and, and hopefully we've even experienced the new covenant by trusting in Jesus Christ. And so we look back on these old rituals and we say, oh, you know what? That's actually pointing to this. And that's something oftentimes they wouldn't have been able to catch those details. And I'll tell you that there's a beauty in these old rituals, these old ceremonies that they simply would have missed, that would have seemed irrelevant to them, that to us actually is relevant, that to us actually adds our understanding of the beauty of the gospel and how God has brought us into relationship with him, how he transforms us, how he will one day glorify us. 
This is what these Old Testament rituals were about. And so I've, I've entitled this sermon, Old Rituals and New Relevance. This is a new relevance that Jesus has ushered in because of what he has accomplished. Again, it, very important for them, but way more important for us. And so I'm excited to go through this with you and show you how these old rituals can have a new relevance in your life because Christ has come. So follow along with me uh, as I read in your Bibles. I, I'm, I'm not putting the long readings up on the screen anymore. That is a futile attempt for me <laughs> to try to follow along. Um, so hopefully you have it in your Bibles. We're going to begin in Exodus 12, verse 14. We'll go down to verse 20, then skip to chapter 13. But I'll tell you when we get there. So 12, 14. God's word says, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but, when, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the first... From the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread." Now turn with me, if you would, to chapter 13, verse 1. We'll just read about half of this chapter. 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son, you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. 
Verse 11, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the firstborn, of, all the firstborn males. Let's see here. Sorry. All the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontless between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. That is God's word. That's what God has to say about the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the consecration of of the firstborn. And, and what I'm here to tell you today and what God has been teaching me this week is that while this was very relevant for them, these two rituals, these two ceremonies, it is far more relevant for us now that we have seen Christ come and the new covenant has been ushered in. Now, in order to gain any relevance, uh, you know, we have to know what these things are about, right? We have to know what it meant for them before we can know what it means for us. So let's first look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. I mean, why was Israel supposed to only eat unleavened bread for seven days, one time a year? I mean, that's kind of strange, isn't it? Well, the reason, I'll just kind of, this one was a question I had. The reason unleavened bread was the main element, the main aspect of this feast is because unleavened bread is all the Israelites had to eat when they first left Egypt. They, they left in a rush and they didn't have time to leaven their bread. Uh, we see that in, in verse 34 of, of chapter 12. Then in verse 39, it says, as they traveled, they ate unleavened bread. They, they baked unleavened cakes because they did not have time to leaven it. And so I mean, it's kind of an odd detail to even mention. They had to take unleavened bread with them and then later they ate unleavened bread. It's a strange detail, but it's not. Because God was going to use that unleavened bread as the symbol of this, uh, this deliverance that he has done for them. But what is it that the Feast of Unleavened Bread actually represented for them? From what I see in the text, and, and a word I see repeated over and over, and just this main thrust, I believe that, number one in your notes, if you're following along there, the feast represented new life. The feast represented new life. Okay, so the Passover, we saw last week that, that even by the shape of the blood on their door, it represented Christ in, in the cross and his perfect sacrifice to, to cover their sins. But the feast of unleavened bread represents their coming out of slavery. They're coming out 
of Egypt and the new life of following God that they would embark on. I see this over and over. I'm not even going to read you uh, every time it's mentioned, uh, but I've got it kind of highlighted up there on the screen, or you can follow along in your Bible. Chapter 12, verse 17. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Then you go to chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. So what's the point of this feast of unleavened bread? God has brought them out. He has brought them out of their old life of slavery. He has brought them out from the control of Pharaoh. This is what God has done. He's given them a new life of following him rather than having to follow the orders of Pharaoh. This is what they are celebrating. This, and by the way, that word out keeps on happening. There's two more times in verses 8 and 9. This is the point here of this Feast of Unleavened Bread. While, while Passover was looking at the salvation through Christ... Was, that's what it was pointing to for us. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was pointing to Israel's new life as they've come out. You might say, okay, that's cool for them. They came out. But what's that got to do with me? I've never been a slave like they were. I've never had a harsh, cruel master like Pharaoh. Some of, some of us say, I kind of feel like a slave to Krispy Kreme donuts, but I don't think that counts in this instance. There's something more serious. There is something worse than physical slavery. Don't get me wrong. What, what, what was happening to Israel and Egypt was horrific. The way that they were oppressed, the way that they were beaten, the way that they were broken was horrible, their slavery. But there is something worse than being a physical slave. The Bible tells us that all of us were born into slavery to sin. What that means is our, our flesh our flesh desires to do the wrong thing. Our flesh desires to turn away from God. And we are helpless to overcome our sinful flesh. That's the idea of bondage. It's dragging us along with it. Helpless, enslaved to sin. And I would say that there is a more ruthless, more cruel master than Pharaoh. Pharaoh was trying to, to steal from them, right? He's stealing their lives. He's stealing all their time, making them work as slaves. He's literally trying to kill them. But the Bible tells us of one who tries to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's not just talking about material possessions. That, that's not just talking about our time. That's talking about our souls, all of us, again, whether or not we even realize it, were born following the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2 tells us. That's talking about Satan. We were born following Satan. 
He gave orders, we obeyed. He told us lies, we believed. We were under the control of Satan. So, all of us, whether or not we realize it, like Israel, only more serious, all of us needed to be brought out. All of us needed new life. And that is what Christ has accomplished. That is what Christ has done in a far greater way than what happened for Israel. And that's what this Feast of Unleavened Bread was pointing to for them was their, 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 their deliverance from physical slavery. For us, we look to the spiritual slavery. Again, I, I want to just show you this uh, from the New Testament. Romans 6, 6. We know that our old self, that's our old sin nature, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I mean, that's a lot like uh, what it's saying there in Exodus over and over. You were brought out of slavery. Know that Christ, when Christ died, our old man died with him so that we would no longer be enslaved to that old sin nature. This is what Christ has accomplished far greater than physical freedom, important as that may be. I think about this. 1 John 2.13 I am writing to you because you have overcome the evil one. And, and 1 John goes on to talk about, you know, greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. In Christ, we overcome Satan. In Christ, Satan's grip on us is loosed. This is far greater than being loosed from the grip of a wicked king. Satan sought to kill, still and destroy, but we have overcome the evil one in Christ. And here's another thing. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So just as Israel received a, a new life, I mean, this was a whole new beginning for Israel. Just as they received a new life, so we receive a new spiritual life, eternal life. I mean, it's a qualitatively different life because it is the very life of God breathing life into us. New desires, new actions, new motives. I mean, this is a new life of following God. And so, friends... This is what the Feast of Unleavened Bread was celebrating for them. Again, the less significant slavery, oppression of Pharaoh, they're freed from these things, a new life following God in the wilderness. But I think it's good news. I think this is worthy of celebration for us at a much higher level that we are no longer slaves to sin. Can I just tell you that? You, if you've trusted in Christ, are not a slave to sin. You do not have to obey your flesh. I know that sometimes it screams at us. Gratify my desires. Do what I want. We don't have to obey it. We are no longer bound to it. Satan, he's no longer your master. You don't have to listen to him. You don't have to believe his lies. You don't, you don't have to obey his orders. 
Think about it. if you, you quit a job and your boss says, well, you need to do this, or the old boss, you say, I don't work for you anymore. <laughs> it probably felt good to say that. We get to say the same thing to Satan. You're not my master anymore. This is what Christ has done. We are new. We live in a different way. Ephesians 2.10 puts it this way. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. That's what happens. Old, enslaved to sin, man, put to death, and we become a new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's new life. This is is what was represented in, in sort of a shadow form through this exodus of Israel, through this Feast of Unleavened Bread. But we now, because the substance has come, because Christ has come, we get to experience the real deal. We get to celebrate the real deal. Freedom from slavery to sin. No longer having Satan bossing us around. And we get a new life of worshiping, obeying, and enjoying the God of the universe. This is what the Feast of Unleavened was bread was pointing, was pointing to. And this is far more relevant for us than it was for them. Now, there's a conversation that I've had with many people, I mean, many people over the years as I've tried to share the gospel. And I can tell you that if you take sharing Jesus seriously, you've probably had this conversation dozens of times. It goes something like this. You start talking about Jesus, and immediately, immediately they go, oh, hey, I, I'm a Christian. You say, oh, cool, really? Uh, well, t tell me about how you got saved. I mean, just, this is just what I do. This is the path I go. Tell me about how you got saved. And here is what I just so often get. Well, I was living a life of sin, but then one day I decided to stop sinning and start going to church. Do you hear a problem with that testimony? They decided to stop sinning and go to church. So, okay, they stopped doing bad things and started doing something that seems good to them. And that is their story of salvation. There's a big problem with that testimony. You know what it is? There's no Jesus in that testimony, right? There's no mention of the cross. There's no mention of their sins being paid for in Christ Jesus. There's no mention of Christ's resurrection life filling them. There's no mention of trusting in Christ. There's, it was all them. I decided to stop sinning and start going to church. It's a common story. We live in the South. We live in the buckle of the Bible Belt. This is a common story. I know I'm not supposed to do wrong, so I'm going to stop doing it. I know that good people seem to go to church, so I'm going to do that. Can I tell you something? That problem that, that's found in, in that, that so-called testimony is something that was to be corrected by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I want to show you this. The feast was only possible through Passover. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was only possible through embracing the Passover. Otherwise, they were still enslaved. Otherwise, they were not new. You think about it, um, even just historically, okay? Like, the feast of uh, this unleavened bread, them going out and taking their unleavened bread and then having to eat leavened bread, 
That happened only because of Passover. That happened only because of them embracing God's command to, to put the blood of a lamb on their doors and hiding themselves behind that blood. If they had not embraced Passover, there would have been no eating of unleavened bread. They would have had dead children just like the Egyptians, and they'd have still been stuck in Egypt. There would have been no Feast of Unleavened Bread if it weren't for the Passover. But even in the way that God told them to order the feasts makes this point as well. Um, in uh, verse 6 of, of chapter 12, um, I won't even read it. God tells them that they are to observe the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. So on the 14th day at twilight, they are to kill the lamb, put the blood on the doors, and they're, they're to have this feast inside the house, this feast of Passover. So they're, they're to embrace this Passover lamb. Then, uh, in, in our passage for today, verse 18, 12, 18, God says this, In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. Do you notice that? The feast of Passover was to, uh, the, the lamb was to be killed and em embraced on the 14th day of the month. So when did the Feast of Unleavened Bread start? The 14th day of the month at evening. The, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was, was kicked off. It was started by embracing the Feast of Passover, this blood covering, this lamb. It was only through embracing the Feast of Passover that they could have freedom, that they could have new life, which is what the Feast of Unleavened Bread stands for. Now, I want to bring it back to the conversation that we have. And the person who says, I decided to stop sinning and start going to church. If that person's testimony is accurate, they are still very much enslaved to sin. They may have cleaned it up a little. They may, they may hide a little better. They may make themselves feel a little better. They may attend church. They may become a Sunday school teacher. They may become a deacon because, you know, good moral people often become those things. But if they have not embraced the Passover, if they have not trusted in the true Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, they are still enslaved to sin. They are still dead in their trespasses, and they will still go to hell. I say those sobering words because we need to hear it. Evidently, we need to hear it because back in Exodus 12, God was making sure we got the order right. You don't clean up your life in order to become acceptable to God. You become acceptable to God through the Passover, and then he cleans up your life. You work with them, but it only comes through embracing that Passover lamb. Paul talks about it in, in 1, Corinthians, oops, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 and 8. He says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival. He's talking about the, the festival, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Because the Passover lamb has been sacrificed in Christ, now let us celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
He goes on to talk about, well, we'll look at that verse again later, but he's talking about not with evil and malice, but with sincerity and truth. He's saying, let's, let's live like unleavened people. Now, at this point, you might say, okay, I, I know that I've trusted in Jesus. I'm not like that last person you talked about, the one who has just tried to clean themselves up who feels good about the direction they're going, even though they haven't trusted in Christ. I, I'm not like them. I know that I've trusted in Christ. I know that I can't save myself. I know that I can't clean myself up. But I'm still struggling. Sin still seems to be getting the best of me so often. And, and, and to be honest, Pastor, sometimes I feel like just giving up. I feel like just quitting fighting sin altogether. I'll just go back to being my old man. If that's you, I, I want to encourage you. The, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread has good news for you. Because if that's you and you say, well, what does that mean if I struggle in these ways? What does that mean if I feel like giving up? I'd say it means you're human like me. It means that you're a Christian this side of the grave who is yet to be perfected. And while there may be things you can do by God's grace to, to help these issues, and, and, and you should do those things, to struggle and to fight sin is a part of the Christian life. Please hear that. To struggle and to have to fight sin, to, to say, grit your teeth and say, God, help me not to do this. Help me to do this thing you've told me to do. That, that's a part of the Christian life. And we see that in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is number three, if you are writing things down. The feast was continual and comprehensive. We'll, we'll cover both of these things. The fact that we, we're still struggling with sin and, and even this desire to, to give up. We'll, we'll look at those here. Struggling saint, the feast was continual. According to verse 10 of chapter 13, it says, You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. That means this, this, this ceremony, this ritual to remind them that they've been freed from slavery, that they are new people, they were to do that every single year. I mean, why wasn't one time enough? I mean, isn't that a big deal? Like, we've been freed from slavery. We've got this new life. Like, do they really need reminders of that? It's interesting. In the very next chapter, uh, chapter 14, we'll hear basically Israel say, let's go back to Egypt. <laughs> I mean, that quickly, they start complaining to Moses, why did you bring us out here? We told you just to leave us in Egypt. What? You're like 12 feet away. You've just gotten your freedom. You've just received this new life, and you're already ready to go back? They needed to be reminded. A little later in the book of Exodus, they will make an, an idol of a golden calf, and they will bow down and worship it. God has brought them out. He is, he's going to be leading them in a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. He's going to descend on Mount Sinai in fire and smoke, and they make an idol. 
Where did they get that from? Egypt. They, they got that. That's what the Egyptians would do. In fact, one of the things Egypt did worship was the cow. So a calf was a fitting thing for them to make. What are they doing? They're reverting back to Egypt, acting just like they did when they were in Egypt. Israel needed this continual reminder. They needed to be reminded, hey, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. I brought you out of Pharaoh's grip. You are new. You don't live like that anymore. They needed that reminder seven days out of every year. What about us? Is one realization that we're free from sin enough? Is one realization that Satan has no dominion over us enough? Is one realization that we have new life enough? I would say it should be, but it's not. The Bible is filled with reminders. The Bible is filled with exhortations. Stop living you're, like you're the old man you used to be. The Bible was written for people like us that needed continual reminders. We need to grow because we're going to constantly be struggling and needing to fight sin. I think of uh, Romans 6, 1 through 4, Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By the way, I don't think he's just answering a hypothetical question. I think this was a question, okay? If God is just gracious and covers our sin, Shouldn't we just sin more so that it'll be even more grace forgiving us? Paul says, look what he says, verse 2, by no means. That's ridiculous, Paul's saying. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. We need this reminder. What, what Christ did on the cross was not only him being crucified, but there our old self was being crucified. And in that resurrection, just as Christ was raised from the dead, so too, when we trust in Christ, when we are born again, we are raised to walk in newness of life. No, we're not going to continue in sin so that grace may abound. We, we've died to sin. We need those reminders. By the way, Paul even does pick this up. I, I told you earlier we'd read the full version of this. I mean, he uses... Uh, this, this idea, the symbol of the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread to explain that they need to keep ridding sin from their life. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's saying, here's how we celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We, instead of going through our cupboards to rid leaven from our house, we go through our hearts to, to say, God, here's the sin. I see something. I need you to work here. Here's something I need to put to death. Here's something I, I need you to help me work on. 
That's, that's how we celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's how we celebrate the festival. Because the Passover lamb, Christ has been sacrificed. We've trusted in him. We've hidden ourselves in him. We've become new. And so we live new. This is what Paul is talking about. But Paul wouldn't have had to write things like that if we didn't have to continually go through our hearts and say, ah, more sin there. Got to clean it out. So take heart, struggling saint. To fight sin this side of the grave is simply to be a human this side of the grave, this side of glory. Now, the only real problem comes when you choose to stop fighting sin altogether. Does that make sense? Like fighting sin and, and having to struggle through fighting sin, that's normal. What's, what's not normal, what's not okay, is to stop fighting sin. And I get it. I, I'm with you. There are times that I just say, it's just not worth the fight. But I'm here to tell you, it is. It is. Because the, 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 the Feast of Unleavened Bread was not only continual, it was also comprehensive. That means they could not just say, you know what, I, I don't want to observe this feast anymore. I, I, I don't feel like fighting anymore. Maybe there's some areas of my life that I don't want to give to God. And by the way, we do those things too. We bargain with God. We say, I've cleaned up all these areas. I stopped cussing. I stopped looking at things I shouldn't. I stopped stealing. But this sin over here, I think I'm going to hold on to it. It does not work that way. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was comprehensive. Look at what it says twice in chapter 12. If anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. That is, they were to be removed from the covenant community of God. Verse 19, the same thing. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. This was very serious. This, this was not like, I'll just eat a little leavened bread. Or, or I'm just not going to observe the feast this year. I, I'm tired of doing that. No, it was continual. It, it was comprehensive all of their life and unending. And the same is true for us when it comes to the leaven of sin. If we choose to willfully stop fighting sin... To just, just say, I'm just going to sin and it doesn't matter. We are cut off. Romans uh, 8, 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So there's this idea of like, if I say, okay, I'm tired of this, I'm just going to go back to living like my old man. I'm going to go back to obeying my sinful flesh. You will die. Now, I think the Bible does clearly teach perseverance of the saints, eternal security, whatever you want to call it, that those who are saved will be finally saved in the end as well. But that, that verse is very clear. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
If you willfully say, I, I'm, I'm done fighting sin, I'm just going to just, you know, do whatever I want now, you are on the path to hell at that point. I think about 1 John 3, 9 as well. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. If you have been made new, you can't go back to making a practice of sinning. In fact, 1 John uh, tells us that if you do make a practice of sinning, you show that you are of the devil. You show that he's your father, not God. And so, uh, again, if God has made us new, we can't keep on sinning because we've been born of him. We will continually fight no matter how bad we want to give up, no matter how bad we want to give in, we will keep on fighting because we have the life of God in us. And I'll tell you, this has honestly simplified my life. Because <laughs> in those moments that I'm struggling, I say, I just want to give up. I just, who cares? I'll just become a sinner like I you know, used to be, someone who just gives in to sin all the time. In those moments, I, I, I just know that's not an option. That's, that's simply not an option for me to stop fighting sin. No matter how tired I am, no matter how worn I am, no matter how frustrated I am at myself and my sin, to stop fighting sin simply is not an option. If, if I don't want to go to hell and if I want to enjoy the glory of God for eternity, it's not an option. I keep fighting. If you, if you uh, live according to the flesh, you'll die. Now, I, I want to help us here a little bit, though. We say, I really am so tired of fighting sin. And, and all that I can think about, basically, is my sin. I'm tempted to sin. And so to fight my sin, I think about fighting my sin. And so the more I think about fighting my sin, the more that I end up being tempted to sin because I'm thinking about that sin. It's kind of like saying, don't think about an elephant right now. You know, it's like you think about it, and then it pops in your head like, ah, the very thing I don't want to do, I do because I'm thinking about my sin. So I want to show you something that, that I learned relatively early on. If we focus on our sin and just fighting our sin, we will likely fall even deeper into sin. But if we focus on our Savior... If we focus on the glory of God, if we focus on the beauty and grace of what Christ Jesus has done for us and the power he has given us to fight sin, that is when we will be able to walk in righteousness. That is when our desire to obey God will be greater than our desire to obey our flesh. And isn't that the battle? The battle is I, I, I want to want to obey God more than do these sinful things. And that's what happens when we turn our eyes on the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus, what he has done for us. I see that in the consecration of the firstborn. So we looked at that in chapter 13, the consecration of the firstborn. And, and kind of what's going on there is God says, you know, I passed over killing your children, your firstborn children, in Egypt, now all your firstborn are mine. And so the animals, they could either sacrifice them or redeem them. Specifically, it talked about a donkey. 
Uh, we can look at that in a second. But And the firstborn of their children, though, this is, this is an important distinction, of their children, they had to redeem their child. They could not sacrifice their child. God doesn't give them that option. Uh, look at it in uh, 13.3. Exodus 13, uh, sorry, 13, 13. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Now, some might find this ritual to be cruel or insensitive of God, but I find it beautiful. That's what I want to show you. Number four. The consecration of the firstborn was beautiful. What I mean by this is this command to consecrate their firstborn was meant to be a beautiful reminder of what God had done for Israel. But for us, it's a more beautiful reminder of what God has done in Christ. First, let's talk about Israel. God shows them the beauty of this consecration and what he's done in the way that they should explain it to their children. Uh, he says in uh, verse 14 and 15, And when in time to come your son asks you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, therefore, because of those things, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. So for them, this was beautiful. I mean, they are redeeming their child, but it was a reminder of the way God had redeemed their children in the past. It was a reminder of the way God gave them a substitute with the blood of the lamb so that he could pass over killing their children. Therefore, they did this redemption of their firstborn children. So this was a beautiful reminder for them. I mean, if they didn't feel like redeeming their animals, that, that didn't go so well. But at least for, for the children, this is a beautiful thing. This is what God did. He spared our children. He brought us out of the house of slavery. But this gets even more amazing for us in the New Covenant age. What is the most famous verse in the New Testament? Anyone yell it out? Yeah, people hold up the sign. You know, John 3.16. Most people in America can probably quote for you John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We need to think about that old common verse in the light of the consecration of the firstborn. In the light of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's all in there. But think about this with me. The fathers of Israel were able to redeem their sons. Back in Egypt, God had passed over their firstborn. That's what I meant to say in the last one as well. They were able to redeem their firstborn, and 
God had passed over their firstborn. But what did God do? Did God pass over his son? No. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Rather than redeeming his own son, sparing his own son, he gave his son that he might become our redeemer. Rather, rather than, than passing over his son, like he did for the people of Egypt, God sacrificed his son that we might go free. This is what I see as the beauty of the consecration of the firstborn. What God allowed Israel to do, child after child, every firstborn child, what God allowed them to do to redeem their own child, God did not do with his own son in order that they may be redeemed, in order that we may be redeemed. Now, don't, don't, don't get this idea that God wrestled Jesus to the ground and sacrificed him and beat him up. This was a willing sacrifice. Jesus says, I lay up my life. No one can take it from me. So Jesus went to that cross in love as well. But from the perspective of the Father, God gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. By the way, do you see the Passover there? <laughs> he, he is the Passover lamb. Do you see the Feast of Unleavened Bread there? that they may have eternal life. That's a qualitatively different life, this new divine life. And we have the consecration of the firstborn. God does not spare his own son so that we might be redeemed. That, my friends, is how we fight sin. We see the beauty of God's grace towards us. We see the lengths to which he was willing to go to save us, to free us from our sin. We say, I want to follow that God. I want to worship that God. I want to obey that God. Because that, that God is so much greater than anything my sin has to offer. I want to follow him. Now, it's still difficult to fight that temptation. I get it but you have a superior glory to look at in the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. And that is the beauty that I see in the consecration of the firstborn. God does not require the fathers to do what he then does. It is a beautiful picture of what God has done for us with greater relevance than it had for them in Israel. Let's pray and ask God to apply these things to us today because that, that's where we're at. We need to say, okay, if this is relevant, I, I, I need to apply it. So let's, let's close our eyes and pray now. Father God, we thank you for teaching us today. We thank you that even though we do live in the new covenant era, that, that Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ has risen again, that these old rituals are still incredibly relevant for us. And these rituals still paint an incredible picture of what you did in Christ and what you have done for us in the new life that we can now live. Father, as we're now praying, I, I want to lift up 
anyone in this room, anyone listening to this sermon who has not yet embraced your Passover lamb. They're trying to do good, trying to look good, trying to walk, to jump through the, uh, the religious hoops, go to church, attend Sunday school, maybe be a part of a small group. They're doing all those things, but they haven't yet embraced the Passover lamb. God, would you impress upon them the fear that they are still enslaved to Satan's sin and death? It's reality. It is reality. But God, you have given your son that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. And so God, would you help anyone who is in that place today to, to cry out to you from their heart now? Say, God, would you save me? Would you save me? Would you forgive me? Would you make me new? Would you help me to follow you based on what Jesus has accomplished? God, would you help them to do that now? God, for those of us who we have trusted in Jesus, would you help us to live like it? Would you help us to, to act like we have left Egypt, to no longer live like the Egyptians? God, you have freed us from our slavery to sin. You've freed us from, from Satan's grasp, and you have made us new. We have every spiritual resource to live lives that are pleasing to you and bring you glory. And ultimately, they'll, they'll bring us the greatest joy. When we delight ourselves in you, our Lord, you give us the desires of our hearts. So Lord, would you give us the strength to continue to fight our sin? Would you give us the strength to hate our sin, but then by the power of your Spirit, to deal with it, to turn away from it, and to turn to you. And God, help us to do that by looking to your glory. Remind us that we don't have the strength in and of ourselves to fight sin. We don't have the strength to make ourselves better. And so we need to look to you. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. God, we want to do it by the Spirit's power, by looking to your glory and what Christ has accomplished for us and in us. God, we pray these things in your, your Son's name. Amen. Let's stand together.